Right. Let's, uh, we got lots to do. Let's say a prayer real quick and then we'll get started. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for blessing us with your word, which does exactly what you mean for it to do. It changes our hearts from hearts of stone into warm hearts that love you. We pray that you would grant us always ears to hear your word and to love what you command us. We pray this in your most holy name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Here's my plan. You can, if you want to have any uh, amendments to my plan, let me know. But um, you watched last week a chunk of Max McLean, right? Um, well, I found just this week, it came yesterday in the mail, Alec McCowan's um, rendition of the Gospel of Mark, which is, I mean, I, don't, I haven't seen Max McLean, but Ma- Alec McCowan is better. And Pastor Nelson agrees, and so I think we're going to watch chunks of this. The YouTube version, the reason why he showed you Max McLean and not Alec McCowan is the, the YouTube version of Alec McCowan is a little bit hard to see. It's not as not a high quality. But the DVD is here, so we're going to watch it. I'd love to show you large swaths of it, but we just don't have enough time for that. Maybe at some point we'll sit down and we'll watch the whole thing. There is no substitute, really, for just listening to the whole thing straight through. It's about an hour and 15 minutes long, I think. Um, but what I'm going to show you is, yes, Faye? Alec, sorry, Alec McCowan. Yeah. Good luck spelling it. It took me about 15 tries to get it right. M-C-C-O-W-E-N. Um, so he first performed this um, in a variety of venues in the, in the, I think, late 1970s and received critical acclaim for it. He was looking for a one-man show to do, and they thought maybe he could do something biblical, and he um, settled on Mark. It's interesting to hear him talk about the process um, by which he came to Mark. He said, he said um, Luke is too sort of flowery, too poetic. It would, it would put him in the, in the wrong voice. He would be... He would be um, it wouldn't be easy to listen to. John is too difficult, he said, too theologically, um, too theologically thick. And then Matthew, he said, he could never get you to listen to the entire genealogy. He would lose you at the genealogy, and so. And then he said he came to Mark, and he said, "This is obvious. This is this is exactly how it was meant to be done," which I think is brilliant. It's fantastic. Critically acclaimed, really uh, did. A, um, had great success with it, and then again in 1990, he brought it back and did it a couple more times. He just died a couple years ago, um, and so it, it received again some coverage in the news. But this is a recording from his 1990 performances, um, and he's going to tell you a little, I'll show you a little bit of a clip at the beginning. He's going to tell you just a little bit about his performance, although I don't think he, well, I suppose he calls it a performance. It's a recitation. Um, and then we're going to fast forward to chapter 4, and I'll play the chunk of chapter 4 that you have before you, and then we'll dive into the text. Sound good? You on board? Okay, let me dim the lights just a little bit here. Thank you, Carol. By me, I mean Carol. So, there we go. Um, okay, so, any other impressions or thoughts about that? So now, so the, so the character of the performance aside... What do you think about what you heard about the gospel? Donna. Uh, I've always wondered why Jesus said, lest they believe. This is a great question. So, so this is... Um, in, parables, so that's right. Those people that don't really know believe. Right. So take a, look at, take a look at what he quotes here. Right. So he tells the parable. This is this, the storyline is important to get straight. So he tells the parable to everybody. His disciples ask him what's going on, 
And he says to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of heaven, the mysterion, the mystery of the kingdom of heaven. Now, what exactly that is, the secret, hang on, let me draw in here, the secret of the kingdom, that's a question we have to answer yet. But in order to explain what he means, he quotes Isaiah. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and they may hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And that lest, that lest is uh, a problematic word. Because what does it tell you about why he's speaking to them? In order that they may not, and, and, and when he delivers it in the King James, it's even more striking to me, that they, lest, lest they turn and be converted, right? Lest they turn and be forgiven. To get a grip on this, let's grab a Bible and open up to Isaiah. As with, as with so many times that the Old Testament is quoted, the whole context really does help to illuminate just what is meant or why this is being used. So, I mean, the, the sort of the shock value of it is, you can imagine how the disciples would have felt about this too, probably the same way that you do. Um, they, they don't understand what he's talking about. They don't understand. They have to ask the question, and he's saying, I'm saying this so that you don't understand, right? Which, which is like, you know, in every good, um, I'm thinking of like uh, ninja movies where there's a young guy who's getting trained by the, the guru, and is this like Karate Kid, right, where it's just this perpetual frustration because he can't understand what his master is trying to get him to do. And this is the sense you get from Jesus here. Uh, if, if, you, if, he's, if they can't understand, if the people who have been, to whom have been revealed the secret, if they don't understand, then what hope is there for anybody at all? Take a look at Isaiah 6. So Isaiah 6 is this all-important scene in the throne room of God where Isaiah receives his call to be a prophet and to preach to the people. Okay? Um, let's just, I'm going to start at the beginning there. In the, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? There, then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. But just pause there for one second. In, in what we hear in Mark, it almost sounds like, so it's that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand. In Isaiah, who is this directed? Who's hearing these words? Well, I'm sorry, who is to, to whom is Isaiah to say these words? The people, right? So he's saying to them, listen and don't understand. See and do not perceive. It's not, a, it's not 
What I mean to say is it's not a commentary about what's going on. It's not that Jesus is pulling, everybody, pulling them aside and saying, look, this is what's going on over there. But this is addressed to the people who see and do not perceive and hear and do not understand. Keep on hearing. Just keep on going and, you're, and don't understand. Um, it's, it's almost it's kind of an exasperation, right? And you got a sense of that um, even as he's talking to the disciples in the way that Alec McCown performed it, right? The, the seed is the word, right? It should be, this should be totally obvious to you, okay? Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Now, that's the end of the quotation. And now, now this is the, these are the instructions for Isaiah. Make the heart of this people dull, and their eyes heavy, their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turned, turn and be healed. And as Isaiah responds just like all of us would. Then I said, how long, O Lord? You, you certainly can't mean forever. And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, there it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. So, the, the message to preach to those who see and do not perceive and hear and do not understand um, is hard for the prophet to receive, right? This is hard for him to do. In fact, I mean, this is in the, totally in the character of a prophet to raise his hand and say, I'm ready to go, and then to find out that it's not going to be quite what he thought it was because he's going to be destroying Israel with God's word, right? What's it going to do? It's going to raise the land. There's going to be anything left, and what little is left, the tenth that is left, even that is going to be destroyed until what? Until what? Jesus comes, but in the text, there's a seed, just, a, just, one, just one stump remaining, right? Krista. And I thought, and be forgiven. That's right, yeah. Um, so that's what, and that's, that's, that's how, um, this is the key for the people uh, that are hearing Jesus speak right now. Um, there's more work to be done on them before they, before they can be forgiven, right? Um, and this is in the character, this, is, this describes the character of repentance, right? So um, if God's word comes along and just sort of beats you up a little bit, and leaves you feeling bad, but um, bruised, not, you know, but with a little bit of energy, you can get up and, you know, wipe the blood off your face and get, get back to it. And God's leaving you alone for now. Um, that's not real forgiveness. That's not the word having its full impact on you. Because how do we describe the full effect of God's law on us poor, miserable sinners? What does it do to us? Does it beat us up? No. It does something far more drastic, a far more drastic measure. We talk about this. This is how we describe baptism. It puts you to death. It buries you in the grave so that there is nothing left. And, I mean, you can think of this purely in psychological terms, why is this so important? Because if you think that you have any little bit left in you, you, by nature, are going to think, I can muster up this little bit and make it happen on my own. I can, I can work my own forgiveness. Um, but that's not 
what God wants. He wants to do it entirely for you. And for the people of Israel, of course, the story is so dramatic because what Isaiah is describing is, in fact, their exile, right? They get cast out of the promised land. There's nothing left. Um, the temple is in ruins, and they, are, they sit you know, by the waters of Babylon and, and try to remember what it was like to be in Jerusalem, and they, ha- they feel like they have no hope right, in themselves. They have no hope in themselves. The only thing that they have left is God's promises, which is just what God wants for you to have. Nothing left but his promises. So this is a circuitous way of getting back to what's going on here. Jesus is doing this to the people, right? He doesn't want them to hear his words and think, oh, I got it, and I'm ready to go on my own now, right? Um, He wants to take away from them any hope that they have that they can do it on their own. Does that make sense? But the key, the key is in the context of Isaiah. So you don't see it when Jesus quotes it here because that question, how long, that question is tremendously important. Um, the answer is not forever. And so when God's word is preached, when the word is sown and it has this effect of hardening hearts, it is not the final goal. The final goal is not hardening hearts, but hardening them that they may uh, then be softened. Donna. So, so you could say that um, when they're U.S., they should think they are um, I wouldn't even, I, I wouldn't temper it even that much. I would say, lest they turn and be forgiven now. Lest... Their, their, their basis would be just seeing and hearing, right? It wouldn't be because they Right. Yeah, that's right. They're just seeing and hearing, and then they think, oh, yeah, I got it. Right, right. I mean, it, this gets at the, the um, overwhelming character, the, you know, the utter, utterly new character of God's kingdom, that it's not, just, um, sort of, it's not just you're walking on this path and you just need to be nudged a little bit. Right? Repentance, metanoia, the change of mind, means turning around and going the opposite direction, which you will only ever do if you run into a wall in front of you. Carol. Can you relate that back, or can this thing relate back to the parable, <coughs> thinking of the seed, you know, that on the path, oh, yeah, this is great, and then either it has no roots. Right. Or it's choked out. Right. Or it's taken away by birds. Yeah. Just, it's got to be. That's exactly right. So you say to your, so you look at the parable and you say, well, the seed that's cast in these places where it's not going, where it does not does not grow, um, that's the end of the story. Jesus is not saying that's the end of the story, but he is saying, in fact, this is what's happening, and somehow, somehow. The fact that it gets choked out or that the birds eat it or that um, the thorns and thistles you know, squeeze it, um, somehow that's actually serving the purpose that uh, the, word, the word is sent for. There's also um, a grace in there that you keep, especially going back in Isaiah, that you keep on listening even though you can't really hear, or you see, and you don't perceive, you don't understand it, but just keep on. Right. And I'd, I'd actually even, I'd, I'd turn that around and think, that's certainly true. 
um, but if you're in the position of saying to yourself, oh, I should keep on listening, then that's already pretty good. But suppose you're not in that position, right? What is, what is the call here? What's the call to Isaiah? Keep on saying it, right? Keep on saying it. Um, because there are people for whom this is going to have the exact opposite effect that you think it should have. There are people that this is going to harden and it's going to make it seem like they have ears that don't hear, ear and eyes that don't see, um, but you keep on saying it. You keep on saying it. Um, take a look with me. I gave you this quotation. Um, this has been really formative for me. This quotation by this fella, Budzizhevsky. I think maybe I've given it to you before, although I couldn't find when I had done that. This is, this is a way of, of showing us the grace in um, this sort of paradoxical na- nature, character of God's kingdom. Listen to what he says. Driving, so look at just the, the third paragraph. Driving life out of kilter is, so to speak, the exhortation of last resort. The offender becomes stupider and wickeder, but then he had intended to become stupider and wickeder. That is what obstinacy and denial are all about. His only hope... His only hope is to become even stupider and wickeder than he had planned. This is so remember God's law makes the sin even stronger, right? Paul says this in Romans. God's law has this effect of bringing out the sin. If all goes well, he may finally be so wretched that he comes to himself or to God. Apparently, for the chance to soften a heart, the designer is even willing that it become more rock-like still. In this life, what has been called the left hand of God may be, in reality, the left hand of his mercy. This is a staggering reflection for those who think of God as a tooth fairy. Less drastic means of turning a soul around can certainly be imagined, like having them hear the parables and understand and turn in their hearts be forgiven, right? Less drastic means of turning a soul around can certainly be imagined. Probably, though, no less drastic means of turning a soul around are compatible with free will which seems to be one of his design criteria. We may find the price too high because in order to escape the furies, which is the accusations that your conscience makes against you, a man may inflict terrible damage to other people. So you see, one of the reasons why we don't like this, one of the reasons why I object is because there's all kinds of collateral damage, right? So we don't like the fact that sometimes um, God hardens a heart in order to save it, and we don't like the fact that that also means that other people are going to hurt, be hurt in the process. It is not the way I would do things, right? Which is, the, which is why it's a mystery, the kingdom of God. What this suggests is that the designer thinks scarcely any price too high to save a soul. Even souls may be risked to save a soul. Yet other souls may be risked to save those. It might even be supposed that such a God would die for them. The claim of the Christian faith is that he already has. The... When, when Jesus says to the disciples, it's not, given to you, it's not given to the people to understand the parables, but it's given to you, and then he says, you've been given the secret of the kingdom of God. The secret is not you know, where the allegory lies in the parable. The secret is not, oh, that the seed is God's word, and that Satan is the birds, right? The secret is not that. It's not difficult to understand how the story, how the parable lines up with uh, what Jesus describes. The secret is, how can this possibly be good? Right? How can this possibly be what God intends? And the only way, the only way you can ever make sense of it is by going with Jesus to the cross and seeing on the cross how, 
in suffering and death, salvation is worked, right? If you see that and you take that to heart and you understand that or you believe it, then, you, then uh, you know, the notion that God might work in mysterious ways opposite of the way we would work is a, is a bit easier to swallow, right? Does this make sense so far? Do you have any questions? Donna. What do you mean when you said, how can this possibly, this, this? How can, how, the, the mystery is how can it possibly be that God's kingdom should work this way, right? That, that it involves um, people hearing and not understanding, right? And seeing and not perceiving. Kathy. <coughs> so, kind of backing on all that is that at this point, I mean, Christ has not died for our sins, so they, to be forgiven, just by hearing him speak plainly, uh, people would be one of the falls on the rocks, falls on the, the birds, take it away, and all that. They would have a, have a quick forgiveness, but they have to become even harder still enough to kill him. Yeah. So that he's the seed, that kernel of wheat that falls into the ground and dies and yields right now. Uh, he's a seed. He's the seed. He's the stump. And right now, it, it wouldn't grow. Right. Yeah, I mean, and so, it's, so it, that's exactly right. So the, 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 we see it this weekend, Palm Sunday, right? The crowds welcome Jesus into Jerusalem as the king of Israel. They're, they're ready to have him. I mean, and, uh, they think that this is everything they've been looking for. And then not much later, they turn and they're ready to crucify him, right? And in some sense, I mean, the necessity of that is unfathomable to us. But I also think it's not just, it's not just them that need to have, go through that sort of hardening but the disciples even too right they need to um abandon jesus <laughs> they need to uh they need to um go through that uh horror of having left him um in his hour of most desperate need in order to see just how much he loves him right that that it's not to, that it's not contingent on them being faithful to him but it's their salvation their forgiveness depends on him being faithful to them right that, the reason why this is so hard and the reason why Jesus says this is so hard is because that point of relying entirely on Jesus' faithfulness and not looking at our own faithfulness whatsoever, reaching that point is not something we can do on our own. You know, the, sort of the, the, the way this is often preached, or occasionally you'll hear a sermon about the parable of the sower and it'll be the parable of the types of soil, right? And this is easy to do. You should be like the good soil, right? Be like the good soil. Which, of course, is a silly thing to say because soil can't change its own character, right? A a thorny soil can't get rid of the thorns. Rocky soil can't get rid of the rocks. And the path can't do anything whatsoever, much less turn the birds away. Somebody else needs to act on you. Somebody else needs to do it to you, right? And the the point of, of incredible comfort... The point of just the life-changing comfort is when you, say, when you realize that um, the fact that you're hearing this, the fact that you've heard this message, and you're saying to yourself, but I would like to be good soil, means that it's already been done to you. The Holy Spirit has already worked in you, 
Um, the Holy Spirit has already taken away any hope that you, ha- that you might have about being good soil on your own. And you've acknowledged the fact that you don't have any power to do it on your own. And that's exactly the spot where Jesus delivers his grace and mercy, right? Um, it, 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 and so in that sense, it's, it's eminently comforting because um, if you have ears and have heard it, then it's worked on you, right? Does that make sense? Any questions? Yes. Please. Oh, go ahead. Uh, so this, he said that the disciples had the secret of the kingdom of heaven. Right. Kingdom of God. So they, they had faith even though they fell away and, you know, their faith their faith wing, uh, They still had the secret of the kingdom. Even though they didn't understand and they didn't think he was really going to go to the cross. Right, so it's a, it's a, it's a good question. So I, I want to just, I want to encourage you to try not to think about this story in terms of like discrete moments, like saying, um, are, are the disciples saved right now or are they not? Or um, are the people who hear God, Jesus preaching right now, are they in or are they out? It's, it's not really the question that Mark is asking. But what, here's what they do have. Here's the secret that they do have. And this is why, this is, I mean, all the comfort you need. They've got Jesus, right? And he's preaching to them. So if Jesus is with them and preaching to them, they don't need anything else, right? They are um, in God's care. God is being faithful to them, which is the same thing that goes for you, right? If you've got Jesus preaching to you, then you're good, you're in good shape. Erin. Um, it just reminds me of, um, so when I was a little girl, you know, I had like, for me, a long time, I mean, it, 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 that's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's the water. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. No, that's, exact, that's exactly right. Um, the, and the, the Pharisees are kind of like contemporary evangelicalism in a way, right? Because they want to get they, their ducks in a row. And they want to be somehow masters of um, how this comes to them. Holly. Um. The secret, going back to the secret, what the disciples had, they still abandoned him. And I don't know. I think Jesus knew 
their secret, you know, yeah. weapon. Yeah. But they still didn't know. Right. It wasn't until his resurrection that they finally it was revealed to them. But it's like Aaron said, it's not of our own yeah. knowing or will to bring that upon us. But Jesus knows that he gives it to us. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and and then that's the trouble with the disciples, of course, and anybody who follows Jesus is they think they're being completely, you know, completely sincere, um, and and in some sense, so the disciples don't they don't get it, they don't understand just. I mean, Jesus says to them three times in the Gospel of Mark, "I'm going to die, and on the third day I'm going to rise again," and they're still surprised when it happens. Um, so I mean, so like they have a, some sort of a mental block in the first instance. Um, but that is the, the key, Jesus' death and resurrection. At the same time, our own death is part of the key too, right? So you are in the process of becoming disciples. You are being made into disciples. This is not, it's not, I mean, this, and this is one of the traps of evangelicalism as well, is the notion that I can lock myself in at a certain point instead of saying, Jesus is working on me he started, he began this good work, he began it, and he will bring it to completion, and I'm going to change in the process, right? It's not, it's not that being a Christian is um, a, climbing up a ladder and getting to this spot, and now you can say, I'm okay. It's being pulled along, being dragged out of your grave by Jesus. And that happens um, not in the timing that we would like, right? I mean, this, gets, this again gets back to the whole notion of how long, O oh Lord, Right? So, I mean, this is, this is just, for anybody who's got anybody in their life that you wish would just, you know, start to love Jesus, this is exactly how you feel about it, right? How long? How can this possibly be good for this person? And here, this is, this is crucial. You know this about yourself, that it wasn't by your own timing that you came to Jesus, right? It wasn't because you mustered up the decision-making power. Likewise, it's not up to you to, to say things in the right way or somehow get the timing right. Um, it's the only thing that's been given to you is to just say what Jesus says, right? And to do what Jesus does. And somehow sit back. I mean, you can say to God, how long, O oh Lord? That's fair. That's fair game. And you should say that. How long, O oh Lord? Um, but that's all, that's, that's all you've been given to do. Um, it's, it's a blow to our egos, right? Because we think we can say things the right way. I mean, this is particularly problematic for pastors who think that, you know, somehow by, you know, preaching eloquently or framing or, you know, giving the right example or what have you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a difference in everybody, everybody's lives. No. My job is very simple. And as soon as I make it complicated, I'm, I'm not doing what Jesus has, said, has told me to do. Same thing goes for you. Okay, so here's a question for you. Do, you. do you find the parable of the sower, maybe now differently than before, to be encouraging or discouraging? It's a little, it's a little scary. Yeah, it certainly is. Because, you know, I mean, there's hell to pay first. Yeah. Yes. Like, so. That's right. Uh, the encouragement comes from... Yeah, the story has a happy ending. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, it does make me look at it a little differently. Yeah. Yeah, you don't know, you don't, I mean, you don't know what it's going to look like when the, when the seed lands on 
of these different kinds of soil. And it could be, it could be, will be really painful. Yeah. Oh, I will say, we, we had a friend who their son had gone through some difficult times. This was years ago when our kids were in high school. And the parents prayed that whatever it took, the Lord bring their son, you know, kind of back to him. He had fallen astray. And it was a very painful, difficult situation that then occurred. Mm -hmm. But now he spends his life in the mission fields, you know, in Guatemala and here and doing all of these, you know, things in service to the Lord. Yeah. You know, it's not always easy. That's right. And, that, and, and that's, why, that's why the Gospels um, and Paul are so helpful to us. The saints are so helpful to us because it's never been easy for anyone, right? I mean, uh, disciples, I think, probably have it worse than most. Just think of what it's like for Peter to know that he denied Jesus before he finally got it, Right? Kathy. Um, well, this has been <laughs> very comforting. I'm glad. Good. Because as a uh, recovering control freak, I <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably spent the majority of my life trying to pick out the thorns and the stones of the soil myself. Uh, this has just been very comforting to me. Good. Yeah, and and I mean, that's right. So, so the secret of the kingdom of God is 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 Jesus Himself, right? And it's no how Jesus does what He's going to do is invisible to us, but that Jesus is working is not invisible. I mean, it's it's every time you hear God's word preached and taught and have the sacraments and it is also Jesus is wherever you take him right so you bear in yourself the the very wounds of Jesus right his flesh and blood for the world are in you so when the world sees you Jesus is spreading his seed um it is uh frightening um but it's also I mean it's 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 a great it's, a, it's just a tremendous relief to know that the outcome is not dependent on not dependent on you. Take a look. I, let's, I've been diatribing now for a little while. We should probably do something a little different. <laughs> Take a look at this painting. Um, I don't know that necessarily... Well, maybe you can tell me just what we can learn from this painting. This is Peter Bruegel the Elder, famous, most famous Flemish pa painter from the Renaissance. Um, and this is the parable of the sower. Of course, so just look at the screen for one second. This is his painting, uh, uh, The Road to Calvary. And you just, this illustrates perfectly just what he does. So he's this massive landscape. And there, in the middle, hidden, is Jesus carrying his cross, right? So, what do you see in this painting? Notice the stump, right? You see a stump. That's right. That is a messed up field, Right? If, if, you, if, if the foreground is a field, it is in bad shape, right? Um, what else do you see? Yeah, it depends. I suppose the lighting depends on whether you're looking at the screen or the... Sorry. Well, like, the focus is not the foreground. No. Yeah, light box. 
Right. Your attention is not drawn to the dark side. Yeah, and it's in fact, and that's one of the things that happens when I printed it out. It is so dark, you like you don't want to. It, looking at it takes some work, right? Yeah. So instead, what you're drawn to is you see this landscape, which is an important characteristic of Bruegel's paintings is that he sets biblical events in. Um, in really ordinary ways, so that so you get the distinct impression that this is that this is the real world that this is happening in. Uh, it's often the case, um, and sometimes this is useful. But sometimes we think that like we think of the Gospels as a movie, where like this is the only thing going on. The camera pans, zooms in on Jesus, and this is the only thing going on. But of course, there's a whole world going on around him. Um, that you know. Th- that is just like our world in so many ways. What else do you see? Kathy? I see way down on the beach, like a bunch of people, and I'm wondering, is that Jesus in the boat? Yep. It sure is. <laughs> I never saw that before. Yeah. So way down on the beach. I mean, you can barely make them out. Yeah. The, the sower, is it not only in the dark, you know, it's in the forefront, you don't see it, it's... Incidental to everything else that's going on in life. Right. I mean, you've got this man on a horseback, and I don't know what this other man is, if he's another sower or whatever, and going into town. And you've got ships, and you've got the wealthy living over here in the city with all their big buildings, and beautiful mountains. Yep. Which are also full of rocks, but great soil. Yeah. Yeah, take a look. Take a look at the sower here. You can see. I mean, it's really difficult to see on the paper. If you look at the screen, you can see a little bit better. So you've got you got the birds over here, right? Eating, eating the soil. You've got over here the grain that has sprouted and has rich heads of grain, and the rocks. And here is here's the bramble, right? Those black raspberries, right? Almost looks like there's something. White, almost like ducks or birds. Right here? Yeah. Yeah. Right down beside, in front of the house there. And I, I think it's noteworthy also that right in the center of the painting is this, is this church, right? Right in the middle. And also if you sort of follow, so if you, take, if you let yourself look at the sower first, you're kind of you're drawn from him over here to Jesus, and then the upward, sort of the upward thrust of the mountains, I think is, um, is supposed to, it's supposed to pull you into the sense that you're moved from the parable of the sower uh, to Jesus, and, and somehow this is drawing you to, drawing you upwards, drawing you to heaven. Um, and that's where, you know, the light is really kind of, it's, a, it's kind of a heavenly light. It's so contrasted with the darkness below. Any other observations? I just, it's, there's a lot to look at. Um, landscapes are, are uh, my favorite anyways, and then when you get a little bit of uh, theology in it too, that's pretty, pretty neat. Okay, we should probably go, shouldn't we? So no, no Bible class next week, Good Friday. Come to church, and then back on the next week, and I suspect that Pastor Nelson will continue to work on Chapter 4. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.